Welcome to the inaugural episode of our podcast, Pod Across the Pond. We are two American sisters from the same parents, but living in two different countries. I'm Shannon, and I live in the U.S., and Erin, my sister, lives in Germany. In each episode, we will meet across the virtual pond to discuss our everyday lives and what's happening in both the U.S. and Germany. We hope to share interesting stories and unique perspectives on our current lives. So first and foremost, thank you for listening to us today, and we hope that you get to know us and that we can provide a fun and meaningful conversation for your listening pleasure. Good morning to my sister. Well, good morning, or guten Morgen, I should say. Guten Morgen. Yes. Good How's morning. it going? Well, it's afternoon here. Um, oh, yes. I always forget to, to say it that way. My apologies. That's perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it's... Well, I live in Hamburg, so as you know, and it is very much known for having incremental weather. Like it's never, sure. it's never exactly um, great. It kind of like goes back and forth from being like sunny to then rain and clouds and then it's sunny again. So yeah, there's actually a term for it in uh, German called Schietwetter, which means Ooh. shit weather. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is pretty funny that most people in Hamburg, they all say, oh yeah, Schietwetter, which is very apropos. So is that, is that known specific for like, is that word like for Hamburg specifically, or is that just like a word in general that people use? That is more for Northern Germany, just because okay. I think it's so, um, Total. yeah, exactly. And, uh, right. and another phrase too, which I think is interesting how people greet each other here. It's, it's very specific, uh, especially to Hamburg is moin moin. That's how you say hello. Like moin oh. is it just like, it's like saying morning or you can say it throughout the day, really, but most people say it more like in the early, early hours. So yeah, that's I love it. I a love little, it. little tidbit there for you. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> but what's what's it like in Minneapolis? It is well. Let's see. It's currently ten degrees. The sun is not up yet. It is uh, early morning here. Um, we have some snow on the ground, but truly this winter, and I know you know this from growing up here too, and I haven't, you know, permanently lived here in a long time, but you know, our, our winters have always kind of varied, but growing up, I feel like it was always like tons of snow. Like every winter was just yeah. like, you know, yeah. maybe not tons of blizzards, like the Halloween blizzard of 91, but like, you know, not to say, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's a huge one. How could you forget? But but I will say that um, this winter, you know, kind of knock on wood slash thank God, it hasn't been all that bad. So even though like, yes, I'm stuck inside and, you know, work from home. So like, I don't get to go outside all that much. It has not been like terribly cold all that often. So again, 10 degrees. Uh, so what would that be in Celsius actually? Oh, I'm so bad at this. You're putting me on the spot. Um, um, I got to check my weather app. Hold the phone. Okay, it's um in Hamburg it's four degrees Celsius, but in Minneapolis it's negative thirteen degrees Celsius. Okay, okay, yeah. good. So okay. yeah, good it's know. pretty it's pretty cold there. Yep, it is. <laughs> it is. And yeah, I'm not saying ten degrees Fahrenheit is warm, but rather it's you know I mean we do you remember oh um oh polar vortex? Do you remember hearing that oh, one? Yeah, like several years ago? Yeah. Well, I mean we would have stretches of like truly two to three weeks at a time where we wouldn't have temperature above like negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So, and then the wind chill would be like at night or sometimes during the day too, but usually at night would be like insanely cold, like to the point that you would get frostbite within, you know, five minutes of, minutes being, outside. of being outside. Yeah. yeah. Scary. Totally scary. But anyway, so um, it's actually not, it's not terrible. It's been, a, it's a little bit colder today, but in the last few weeks, it's been above freezing several days. So like, which again, it's not 
in all in perspective, it's not great, but uh, for <laughs> Minnesota, yeah, yeah it's, it's actually not all that bad for Minnesota. So yeah, so yeah, things are good. Um, well, happy uh, Wednesday. No, is it Tuesday? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Oh, no, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> I started to say it and then I was like, I actually don't remember if it is. No. Nope. Okay. So happy Wednesday to you. So um, so I think we can kind of get kicked off with some of our fun stories that we want to share with each other. And again, for the listener, this is something where we want to um, provide some interesting stories that we find both um, whether there's something that affects, you know, maybe it's just the US, maybe it's just Germany, maybe it's all of Europe, maybe it's the whole world, right? So clearly, coronavirus is going to be a continuing thread, right? We'll probably always have something that will be kind of, you know, touching on that, because clearly that's a worldwide issue and concern right now. But um, I thought the first thing that would be fun for us to talk about, because I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, what you've heard from, you know, being a um, an expat and with a lot of your friends that are not American um, about the inauguration from last week. So, um, I, you know, found, again, I'll share my kind of thoughts on here as well, too. But um, a couple things that I thought was really, really interesting was there was an article in NPR and they had a good, they called it six takeaways from uh, President Biden's inauguration. And so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to kind of touch on each one because I thought they did a, a nice job of kind of summing up, you know, a lot, a lot of what Americans' feelings were and probably around the world, too, but specifically, certainly for Americans. So, the first thing they said was a starkly different tone was set. Um, and a hundred percent agree with that, right? Like we went from, I mean, truly living, living every day and every night on pins and needles where we just did not know what was going to come at us next with, with yeah. um, Donald Trump. So the second that he came into office and then even within that first day, it was like, I had people telling me, Oh, I, I feel like this was the first day I could take a full deep breath in like that's four how years. I felt. That's completely right? how I felt. Where I felt actually like at peace. I know that yeah. sounds like so cliche, but I really did feel like wow, a weight had been lifted, lifted. somehow. Big time. Big time, big time. Yeah. So just even um the the divisiveness and the um, you know, this horrible rhetoric of like us versus them, you know, like Biden's whole, you know, throughout um, when he was campaigning, and then certainly even since he's been um, elected, you know, his whole, his basically his the um, sermon from his pulpit is that is unity. He yeah. wants to bring people together. He does not view, you know, everything that he has said. Like, yes, he's going to do, you know, a lot of executive actions, and actually was going to talk about some of those too because I think some of those are pretty notable as well. Yeah. Um, but his whole goal is to really. Um, bring the U.S. together, which he knows is no small feat, right? Yeah. He's he's acknowledged, like, I understand that 74 million of you, sadly. Yeah. I know, <laughs> um, that's a whole other topic. That's a whole other thing we can talk about. Um, that they, uh, you know, they voted for someone else. And so he has, you know, set this tone of not just unity, but really trying to reach across the aisle and yeah. to you know, make it known, like, I, I think he even said it might have been yesterday or the day before that um, he is also really trying to, uh, he his, his, like, main idea, or his main goal would be to have the bills that get passed be bipartisan. Yeah. So like, even though Democrats have the majority, um, not the super majority, but the majority in both the House and the Senate, yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, they can pass because of that majority, but there's a lot of other things that they can't because you have to have a, you, it's not um, 50%, you have to have more than that. Yeah. And so, but even those, he said, like, I don't want it to only be party line. He's like, I want it to be a mix between the two. I want it to be bipartisan. So anyway, yeah, starkly different tone. I completely agree with that. It's a really good, you know, way to say it. I just kind of talked about this one. The other um, takeaway they said was, uh, real unity will be tough to come by. Totally agree with that. It's, yeah. you know, it, part of it, in, and certainly I know you and I have talked about this before, but like, although there are some people that really did just vote more um, party line or they voted because they want smaller government, right? So they're still kind of holding on to some of those 
more traditional Republican conservative ideals, there's a, a large swath that don't view it that way. And they really view Trump as, you know, the true victor of this whole thing because of all these conspiracy theories and all that. So, um, it, this is not going to be just like a quick turnaround of like, Oh, well, he's, he's president now. And he's, you know, that's it. It's like, no, like changing the hearts and the minds of a lot of these other people is not, is not going to be easy. No, for sure. Not. And I think when you have like conspiracy theories that are just, I mean, if you really like delve a little bit deeper into some of these things, it's just, you can't believe it, but, but really I mean, people do believe this. And I guess that is something that you really need to take, take into consideration when, when kind of judging or whatever, being like, how could you possibly, you know, vote for somebody like that and whatever they, they truly believe that this is, this is the case. And I think that's the hardest part is to kind of, (laughs) I don't know, re-educate or re like, yeah, I don't know. Um, explain things. I, I just, I don't even know how you begin to do that. I just feel like Joe is, is, is obviously I'm so glad that he, he is, you know, our president now, but he really has an uphill battle. And I, I mean, obviously he knows that I think he's been very transparent about it, but you know, yeah, as you said, 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. And yes, while some of those people might've just voted for Trump because they are Republican and they always vote Republican. Sure. Yep. Yep. I, I, I still feel that the vast majority of people that voted for him really do believe in what Donald Trump stands for, which is even like, I don't even want to phrase it like that because it makes it sound like he's a, you know, <laughs> a, a, a great individual, but right, they do stand behind his, his rhetoric and, and what he um, spews out. And I just, I just feel like it's going to take a very, very long time to, yeah, to repair those wounds. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I just think right. that, yeah, we all need to be very uh, mindful that this isn't going to happen overnight. And yeah, change will come, but it's yep. going to take a long time. Yep. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. So here are a couple of the, so he's, he's signed over now, now it's more than 30, but he has signed multiple executive orders and since he came into office and which is like a crazy record, right? Like I think, wasn't it? um, Who was it that I read? Uh, Definitely not Obama, but it was maybe the Bush administration that had as many executive orders within the first like a hundred days. I I think you're right. No, I think that sounds right. I think that sounds right. Um, And a lot of them were really just overturning Trump era, you know, things that that he had put in as executive orders when he came in four years ago. So I'm I'm not going to read through all of these, but a couple of them I thought was was they're really important. So one was uh, stopping our withdrawal from the World Health Organization. Yeah. Um, So we are rejoining um, the WHO and um, now um, uh, Dr. Fauci. Yeah. I love Dr. Fauci. Yeah. He's going to become the head of the delegation to the WHO. So yeah humongous deal. Again, it's not saying that, you know, they're a perfect organization, but when you have something like a worldwide pandemic to be so insular and not be connected to the world in that sense is just crazy to me. So that, that was a huge one. Um, he had us rejoin the Paris climate accord. So, um, huge for, for, from a climate change perspective, he canceled the Keystone pipeline, um, which is huge. Amazing. Yeah. Um, he, let's see here. These are readings. Oh, he reversed the, um, the AKA the Muslim ban, which yeah. is yeah. the restrictions on us entry for passport holders from seven Muslim majority countries. So incredible. Um, he is expanding. Um, he is undoing the immigration enforcement yeah, within the United States that Trump put into place. So again, there's still we could talk a whole other thing about ICE. Um, that oh was, yeah, yeah, a whole yeah. other thing. But um, uh, halting the construction of the border wall, yep. which uh, I mean, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, it's just like crazy how like all these good things can happen within such a short amount of yeah, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then another one. Um, this one isn't in this list, but um, I believe that he's supposed to uh, sign one today. He's going to do some more climate um, and environment focused ones this week. But um, one of them is that he is halting all. Um, I think I believe it's new contracts for um, any 
federal contracts for uh, oil or gas drilling. Wow. And and the point is not to say because he's he's actually for fracking, and again, that's a whole other topic we could talk about. But um, the but the point being that he wants to just put a pause on everything, have you know the right people right reevaluate these contracts. Are are they environmentally safe? Are they are they going to be a benefit versus you know do the benefits outweigh the cons of you know doing this type of drilling, and then kind of you know regroup from there. So. Just those things alone have just provided me such <laughs> that I know breath that I just can't even, I can't even tell you. So it's so um, great. And also, oh no, I was just going to add to that because yeah, I yeah. as well too, that um, something about private prisons, I, I just yes. read an article from the guardian. I think that he signed an order saying that that's like a no-go now, like federal funding to private prisons, I think. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which yep. is just like, that's, it's such a huge problem in the U S like just, I mean, watch any documentary about anything involving American prisons and yeah, you realize that it's, it's systemic and it's, it's yep. a huge problem. So that yep. made me really happy to read that. So. Yep. Totally agree. And, and I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg for that, right. With um, addressing a lot of other uh, issues from a, you know, racial inequity point of view, which I know he, he's just starting that process as well with a, with a great team of Susan Rice behind him, which is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the only, the last thing I'll say about it, and then I'd love to get, you know, any other thoughts that you have as well yeah. too, is just, it was, um, I mean, I'm kind of a weepy person anyway. So like, you know, I mean, you a, good commercial, <laughs> a good commercial can make me cry, you know, like have like oh, a, yeah. little, a little, you know, little tear here and there. But watching Kamala get sworn in was, it was so moving and so powerful. And I just, I kept thinking like, I I mean, I know that this just kind of goes without saying, right. But for, for us as Americans, you know, you grow up and you learn American history and obviously so much has changed in the way things were taught back when you and I were growing up versus now, but you know, all we ever saw were white men in power ever, literally. Ever, yeah. Right. Maybe you'd see a, you know, um, attorney general, you know, maybe you would see, you know, some other secretary, you know, but sure, like a person of color, but yeah, far between. that's it. Right. Yep. So seeing someone who now has the second most powerful position in the U S and I know some people say in the world, but I'm not going to view it quite that way, but, yeah. um, to see it be not just a woman, but a woman of color. So who's uh, both black and from Southeast Asia. Like, I I mean, I was like, I couldn't, I was like beside myself. I was like, absolutely bawling, like tears streaming down my face. My cats were looking over at me like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) Because it just was so meaningful. It just meant so much. And it's like, you know, not just that history has been made, but like, that like little girls and little boys, right? So it's not just for us, but it's for boys too to go, anyone can do this. Anyone. It does not matter where you're from. It does not matter what your race or your um, gender or, you know, where you grew up, right? Like all of those things don't matter. Um, If you, if you really want to do something like you can achieve it and you can do it. And it just was like a culmination of so many things. So overall, just really good vibes of the whole thing, but certainly seeing Kamala sworn in as the first, you know, woman VP was just beyond. So great. And then Amy Klobacher, I got a shout out to Minnesota uh-huh. there. Yeah, that was yes. awesome. she was a part yeah. of it too. So yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Do you uh how about any of your um, you know, your friends that you know you live with, you know, in Germany, whether that's husband or your friends or yeah. things that you're reading from like other um, you know, folks that are not non-American, like what what has been their overall perception? Oh, I mean, it's just absolute like thank God. I mean, really, it's just a a sigh of relief as well, a collective sigh of relief, I think, from all of my friends. And, you know, I I live here now in Germany. But as you know, I lived in Sweden for five years, and I lived in the UK for a couple of years. So my friends are kind of all over the place. and, And many of them are not American. In fact, I would say the majority of my really close friends are, yeah, are either Swedish, German, or yeah, Dutch. Um, yeah. So different, uh, different nationalities. And it's just the same, like (laughs) answer across the board is just like, wow, like way to go. Yeah. Now you guys can be taken seriously again. And I think that is, I think the, the main takeaway that I felt from all of this, the four years of Trump that we had 
that we just were the laughing stock of the world. And, and I, I obviously when people would meet me, of course they would, I I don't think anybody wants to immediately like talk about politics. I mean, I don't think that that's something I think Europeans especially are quite, you know, they, they like to wait a little bit before delving into that. Um, but of course, I mean, you do get that, that sense that maybe somebody thinks that you are a Trump supporter or were a Trump supporter, yeah. obviously. And yeah. I, I would be very quick to say, I hate Donald Trump. Like, yeah, I mean, right. just, just so that there wasn't any question of like any, <laughs> any affiliation or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really something actually after the inauguration or even during the inauguration, really, when I was just scrolling through Instagram and looking at all my friends, non-American friends, you know, in their profiles, all of them were posting in their stories, uh, you know, on a yeah. post, just saying, go America, you know, like, yeah. it just, it was so heartwarming to see that. Yeah. And it made me feel like, yeah, again, I could breathe a little bit easier. And my husband is is German and he's very anti-Trump <laughs> and has been, and I believe he's been more into watching the late night shows with <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers. I mean, he watches them like religiously. And, you know, he he and I watched the inauguration together and it was it was really beautiful. Like we were sitting there and, and holding hands and because he knew how much it meant to me too. And I looked over at him and he had a tear in his eye watching it. So that was pretty cool to see that. And again, I think obviously because he is married to an American, it is a big deal for him. And and what goes on in the States does indirectly affect him and really does affect the world. Like, I think that's what people forget about in in the US is that we are such a big country. And you know, there's so many people in so many different walks of life and all of that. I mean, it's just, yeah, go to the Midwest and it's totally different than the South, you know, it's it's that sort of thing. But I really think sometimes we forget that we're looked at like under a magnifying glass by other, other countries, everyone basically, because we are, I guess, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, but the most powerful nation in the world. And I mean, I, I would beg to differ in some, some, sure some ways, but Uh but for, you know, for the most part that, that does ring true. And I really think that, yeah, this is this is a huge step forward for yeah, <laughs> humankind, you know, to just yeah, um, yeah to just uh, try to get back on track again and and having the US be led by a yeah, eloquent man who you know has been in politics for so many years and understands right. how things work and you know is competent and um, it's just empathetic yes it's just all of these things that we yeah. were so badly missing for these last four years but again I mean I guess that's a topic for another time but 74 million people did vote for Trump and there there is major division in yep. the U.S. and continues yep. to be and yep I, I think you can't ignore that. I think you can't ignore that fact. So, yep. but it was pretty funny actually, because um, when, when Biden won and when was sworn in, so my husband's parents, they're in their late seventies and um, they both don't, well, his mother doesn't speak any English, but his, his dad speaks a little. And they both said, they're like, how happy is Aaron that oh. <laughs> Joe Biden is president? I mean, again, they were totally riveted by the news as well. Even if it's all in German, it's like, yeah. I just really think that we forget sometimes that everyone's watching what we're doing and, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, it's, it's almost kind of ironic when you think of Trump's whole slogan was make America great again. <laughs> I know. And all he did was ruin the way America is viewed. And and I will say at least from, from you know, I, I try to read from, you know, different sources and different, sure. you know, not just, you know, New York Times, right? Like <laughs> Guardian or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, um, I do, I do think that there has been an understanding that, and it's certainly now it's been, you know, shouted from the rooftops because not only did Biden win, he won by a, a, a significant margin yes. over Trump. Yep. And again, same with, you know, the fact that the Democrats hold both the House and the Senate, that yep. again, Dude. there are more of us, right, than, than there are of, of the, of, of them. And I hate even saying us and them because we're all Americans, but that's at least from an election, that's how you have to look at it, right? Because you vote for the one you want and that's kind of how you look, have to look at the results. But at the end of the day, the, the damage that was done by, um, by his administration isn't just like 
oh, things that we feel here, like you said. It's like the reverberations and all of the, I mean, just leaving like, um, you know, the WHO during a pandemic. Well, I know. I I mean, it's so insane. Like, I I feel like we're all going to collectively, and I'm not minimizing PTSD at all, but like, there is an element of that of like, we are really trying to work through the trauma of the last four years, a lot of us, and trying to like get back to having normal interaction with like, you know, like reading the news and not just like digging your fingernails into your hands because you're so either angry or worried or concerned. Like what is going to happen next? And what the hell is going on? I know that it's like, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect with Biden, but like just the improvement to like, a competent, moral, empathetic human being is just like, well, think about how we looked (laughs) and, you know, this is now going back many years, but when George W. Bush was president, I mean, we were all like, he's the worst. He's, you know, like, oh my gosh, he, he, he's so dumb. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. And now we look at him and be, and we're like, oh my God, that was, He was actually okay compared right. to, to, to to Trump, and right. I just think that's so funny that like you know for so many years people were like Bush is the worst, and now we just right. look at him as like a an old man who paints, you know? Right, just, right, right, you know? right. <laughs> Which yeah, for sure, and we could have a whole other conversation on him as well too. Yeah, um, sure. yeah, for sure. Um, well, cool. That's awesome. I, I completely agree, and I'm 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 just glad that it was you know certainly knowing what happened, you know, a few weeks ago there, um, at the Capitol, it was so lovely to see such a shift and see that change to be, you know, one of, um, you know, joy and happiness and celebration and new beginnings, um, you know, versus the horror and destruction and, um, just fear that, you know, had happened at the beginning of, of, of the month, which seems like 90 years ago now, but I know it was only like a few weeks ago, which is so strange, but no, but I love that they're still finding people that were <laughs> involved. Oh, yeah, they're not going to stop. Oh no. Yeah. And I just like reading about all the people that have been so far. Yeah. Arrested or charged. And I'm just like, wow, good for you. And you should be publicly named. I, it's very different here in Germany. Like, and that is something that, um, yeah, it's a stark contrast to the U S but Germans are all about privacy. I mean, like yeah. privacy yeah. with everything. I mean, like most of the people on Instagram, not on Instagram, sorry, on Facebook that I'm friends with that are German have like a made up name, including my husband. He does not have his, his real last name on Facebook. Um, they're just really peculiar and very particular about privacy. So I think naming people like I, they don't, they don't do that in Germany. If somebody is arrested for something, they cannot unless it's like a really high profile case where they actually have someone and they can charge them for whatever. Like I think the Madeline McCann um, story was, was the one where they actually named the guy um, because he had actually been in prison before um, for another crime. But um, yeah, they do not name, they do not name anyone. And I, my husband and I always talk about this. He's like, well, I just think it's, I just think it's wrong to do that. But I think in this case with all the Trump protesters that got, you know, um, or whatever Trump, patriots, whatever you want to call them, um, getting arrested and being publicly named. I think my husband is actually on board with that, which is pretty funny. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. I think from a privacy perspective, um, th- there's a lot that, that needs to be, uh, changed the way things are kind of heading right now with like facial recognition and yeah, all that, which yeah. I think is super scary. But at the same time, when you're committing a crime, um, and this is just my American point of view, right? Sure. But like yeah. when you're committing a crime and the vast majority of these people were knowingly either putting themselves on their own phone camera, yes. right? Like, yeah, like that realtor doing, woman, that realtor yeah. woman in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. They were live feeding them breaking in to the Capitol building. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's you dumb. know. And I, were there some people there that were like, that wanted to come and see Trump speak and didn't go in? I'm sure that there probably were, right? Like that, that absolutely did not charge into the Capitol, but were like standing back by the, you know, Washington Monument or something. And were just there. Certainly there, there probably are, but those aren't the people that the pictures are getting released of, right? These are people inside or of the Capitol or 
that are outside, but they're, you know, beating a cop to death, right? Like, I mean, these, I don't know, I just feel like there's that fine line. And I don't have an answer. So I certainly don't know, like a ton about privacy from from that perspective. But I, I think it's a good argument to have. Um, but I at the same time for right now, it's like, you're you're taping yourself, like yeah. you're putting you're, it on your totally. Instagram. Like, yeah. What do you think is going to happen to you? You have people that follow you. Yeah. They're going to identify who you are and you're you're going to get arrested. Like I, it's just it's so it talk, talk about I will also say this this again whole other conversation. Um talk about white privilege too. Oh, like, for sure. You know, there there were some people of color there but it was vast majority whitewashed, right? Yeah. Um and just so, imagine if that would have been a different um Yeah, like a Black Lives Matter protest. Oh, I, I, I can't, I, and I don't even want to. I don't want to think about it. I the know. number of fatalities or severe oh, yeah. injuries that would have oh, taken no place. No question. No yeah. question. Yeah. 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 <sighs> anyway. Yeah. Okay. So um, kind of interesting shift in conversation, but uh, still something that I know has impacted, you know, everywhere. But uh, the coronavirus pandemic, obviously, it's going oh, on. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, a little bit over a year into it now. Um, but I had found a story that I thought you would find interesting that... Um, uh, was just a kind of a unique way to kind of tackle the inability or maybe uh, the the lack of people wanting to do in-person dining. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'll just give quick background in Minnesota. So we have had kind of these several waves, right, that obviously correspond directly with the number of cases and deaths and hospitalizations and things like that, where the governor has either fully closed, you know, like, no indoor dining, yeah. then kind of reopened it for a bit and then closed it entirely and then like kind of opened it up back up to like 25% and then, yeah. you know, so like it's Same just here. been kind of undulating, right? Right. Which I think it has been kind of similar in a lot of places. So one thing I read that I thought was super, it was just kind of a cool, interesting way to, excuse me, get around doing, um, or, or, or I guess a way to still try to, you know, generate some revenue when, a lot of people either don't feel comfortable with in-person dining or they can't go do in-person dining because the governor has, you know, yeah. closed it down. So what some local um, hotels are doing is they're actually renting their room. So like a hotel room by uh, doing private in-person dining by the hour. So like, you know, of course you traditionally think of renting a hotel room by the hour. It's like, Ooh, scandalous. Yeah, like, totally. you know, what's going on there. Right. <laughs> um, but this um, I thought was really kind of a cool idea. So what they did um, the Hewing hotel, which is in um, Minneapolis in the North loop area, downtown, they were uh, to my knowledge, the first one that uh, really kind of came up with this idea and their head um, executive chef was really trying to think of, what are some ways that we can keep our, um, you know, staff sure. able to still work, right? Yeah. But we know, like, we can't, you know, because they obviously have a restaurant there at the hotel. So they started thinking, well, why don't we rent our rooms out? So what they actually ended up doing is they will take out the bed. So it's hard to imagine this, right? Because, like, you always think of a hotel room with a bed, right? Totally. But they take out the bed, and then depending on the number of people in your party, They'll bring bring in a table with the number of you know appropriate chairs or whatever, and then at the hewing at least, um, the executive chef came up with a seven course tasting menu. Wow! And each one gets dropped off one by one with just a knock at the door. So right, they just you know put it right outside, and then you can bring it right into your room. So like even no contact there. And then with each um, of the seven courses, the chef comes in by a video and introduces the dishes to the group so wow. that kind of talk you through like, you know, talk about what. creative. <laughs> I know. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So they currently have 14 private dining rooms um, with seatings four days a week. So th this isn't like they're doing this with every single one of their rooms, but they're, you know, doing it for, you know, kind of a small chunk of them. Yeah. Um, and I also thought this was kind of funny too. So a couple of things that uh, people that have participated in this said that they uh, actually realized were kind of a benefit to, to eating this way. So one was that, they can control the the music in the room. So it said like those with hearing issues say that they can converse more, you know, easily versus like a really busy restaurant that space. So or, yeah. You know, a certain someone we know might uh, prefer that versus uh, um, <laughs> yeah. trying to talk to people in a restaurant. Yeah. Um, AKA our father. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other one, which I thought was funny too, was that, you know, a lot of times, you know, you go to a restaurant, it's really busy and it's like, you go to the bathroom and there's a line for the bathroom or, you know, it's not kind of well kept or, you know, hasn't been sure. cleaned in a while. It's like, 
you get a private bathroom, right? I mean, your right. bathroom's right there. You just pop in, gotta go to the bathroom, go right back to your table, right? So um, there are several, there's five hotels in the Twin Cities area that um, at least um, based on this article that are currently doing this, which I think is just an, a really, really awesome idea. Um, it's something different to try to kind of get around this in-room dining experience, but still giving people the the safety and comfort of knowing that they aren't in an open restaurant, right? Yeah. You're still in an enclosed, just like you would with your, whoever you're bubbling with, you're, you know, in a yeah. pod with that yeah. you can feel safe being with that group. Um, and then I just, one more thing to add, I'd love to get your thoughts too, for what you've seen in Germany. Yeah. Um, that there are, I read an article in the Star Tribune, which is the the local newspaper here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And they said that in uh, the year 2020, 94 restaurants closed in the oh Twin Cities. Um, certainly not all of them were due to the pandemic, right? Some of them were, you know, other reasons as well. But like the vast majority reading through, wow. they were, it, it, it were varied things, right? It could have been something like, you know, they they weren't generating enough revenue. It could have been like their rent that like couldn't make rent. Um, yeah. It was, so again, lots of different, yeah. Yeah. exactly, couldn't pay their staff, things like that. So it's just, it's, it's so hard when you see something, you know, as, as seemingly normal of an activity, right? Just go to a restaurant and have a meal, right? I mean, talk about, it almost doesn't matter where you are in the world. Like that's just uh, going to a restaurant is so normal, but in a pandemic, it's just really hard to, to, you know, rationalize that sometimes depending yes. on again where you are and what the cases look like and all that. So it was just cool to see a, a kind of a unique, um, different approach to still serving people, but not, but doing it in a way that I think a lot more people would feel comfortable. Absolutely. And I think uh, the U S correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously it, it differs state to state, right. In terms of like what yes. you can and cannot do. So like, I think yes. like in a state like Florida, right. Like restaurants and stuff are still open. So like there aren't any, I, I think the staff have to wear masks, I believe, or maybe not. I don't know. Nope. I, I believe, and we can fact check this later, but yes. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that the there is no, so when I say federal, I just mean from the state's perspective, yeah. right? Um, that's in place at all in the state of Florida. So if people wow. do require it, it's because they as a restaurant require it. Require it. I, okay. I, or, 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 and or the city or the county that they're in require it. Got it. Okay. So yeah. So I think depending on where you are in the States, like obviously Minnesota is very, and I think from the very beginning with, um, with our governor, I'm still going to say yeah. our, cause I'm still yeah. a Minnesotan at heart. Of course you are. Um, Tim Waltz, right. He, uh-huh. he was very, you know, a big proponent of masks and, you know, started things pretty early. So I think Minnesota is definitely, I think, more like how Germany has been. But I think, yeah, there's definitely states where it's just like you you see things and you're like, is anything going on there? It looks like, like yeah. there is no pandemic, like the, right. the, nothing is I actually know. happening. And then yeah. it's a little disconcerting to me when I see that because I'm like, how can it be that it's like United States of America and yet <laughs> some right states are united in you know making sure that everybody is protecting one another and then you get like outliers yeah. like florida sorry yeah. florida yeah. but yeah that's uh yeah yeah <laughs> my personal opinion about it but yeah interesting yeah I, I, in germany here I, we've definitely had more of like a strict sort of um set of rules to follow and obviously that makes sense because it's you know it's one country, although there are uh, different states, obviously. So there's Bavaria, there's Hamburg is a state, Berlin is, is a state as well. Um, so they, of course, can impose some different measures and they have depending on like the amount of infections. But yep. we've had something similar to like we went into like a full lockdown um, basically from mid-March to the first week in May uh, last year. And that was like, I mean, like only grocery stores are open. Uh, pharmacies were open. Um, but they didn't have any sort of, um, curfew or anything like that, how they did like in France and Spain and Italy, which was just, I can't even imagine what that must've been like to have like an actual written note to be able to leave your house. Um, it's just insane. We didn't have that here in Germany. We haven't had that at all, which is great. Um, and I hope that that won't come to that. It doesn't seem like it's going to, but, um, yeah. And then in the summer, because the numbers were better and we didn't have very many deaths at that point, they did open things back up again for the most part. Obviously everybody was wearing a mask that was like, you know, from the get go that was, um, required in every shop and every, you know, uh, public transport, all of that. 
And so basically over the summer, it was kind of, I don't want to say like business as usual. I think everybody just got used to wearing a mask, to be honest. Yeah. And yep. And then obviously the numbers started to creep back up again in the fall. And this was what, you know, all the, you know, experts were warning us about and had been warning us about for a long time that there was going to be a second wave. Um, so that did end up coming um, in the fall. And that was when it was, I think it was October 31st that they, um, they said from that point on that uh, all restaurants, all bars, everything would be uh, closed uh, only for takeaway. Um, yeah. So essentially that's what it's been like since November 1st, we've been more or less on like a light lockdown, but hairdressers mm. are still allowed to be open. Um, but then in mid December, they went into another full on lockdown like we did last, um, last spring. So that's what we've been dealing with since mid December. So, um, and they do have rules as well on how many people you can have, um, be in a household at like in a private household. So mm. you're only supposed to, at this point, be interacting with one other person from a different household than your own. So, you know, I'm, I'm obviously married. So if we wanted to have a friend over, we could, but like one friend and from one household, um, that again, it's, it's hard to say how to enforce this. My husband is actually a police officer. So again, a whole other topic, <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, of course, I think if you're, if you're having a party or something, then a neighbor could call and they could, you know, they could crack down on that. But I think, I think for the most part, Germans have been very law abiding and very like rule, which I guess not surprising, not surprising. <laughs> not surprising. I know I was just about to say. Um, so I think of course people are just kind of grinning and bearing it. It's just yeah. how it is, but it is really encouraging to see that like, you know, the places that are still allowed to be open, like cafes are allowed to be open, but only for takeaway. And there's actually a really cool cafe in my neighborhood here. Um, it's called Lewinsky's and it's, uh, created by a guy who's from New York, actually. His name is Halal. He's super nice. Um, and he actually started his cafe right before the pandemic, um, hit. So, I mean, not a great time to start a new business, but he is like the perfect example of somebody who's who, who has persevered throughout something really, really, you know, trying and, and troubling because the, the lines outside of his cafe to get, cause he does like bagels. He does like pastrami. Mm. He does like the kind of New York sort of deli yeah. kind of stuff. And he has an yeah. amazing coffee there. And I mean, obviously I like it because it's an American sort of <laughs> place sure. and I never feel bad about speaking English there, which is again, another topic for another time. Yeah, um, yep. But yeah, it's really, it's quite amazing to see how well his business has performed during lockdown. Um, so yeah, I mean, whenever like my girlfriend and I, we want to go for a coffee, we're like, should we go to Lewinsky's? And, you know, and then we end up having to wait for like a half an hour outside doing social distancing to even just get a coffee. But that's what people do right now. Yeah. This is like, yep. we kind of learn to adapt. And um, if things are open and, you know, you can visit these places and do it safely, then that's what people do. So it's become kind of a social, social activity, but like not, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's kind of a, an interesting way to think about it, right? Like where we're not supposed to be social, right? Me meaning like going into a restaurant and eating, we're still finding ways to yes. make it social yep. so, because we're social creatures. And so we Absolutely. still want to interact with each other and we still want to have that like somewhat feeling of normalcy in such a bizarre, chaotic time that um, yeah, I think it's so cool when, um, you know, just trying to support, supporting small businesses anyway, right? Absolutely. So regardless yeah. of a pandemic, but certainly with restaurants that are feeling such, um, you know, horrible, dire straits of not being, it's hard enough to keep a restaurant open. Totally. Normal times, let alone when you're not allowed to have people eating in anymore. It's like, okay. Like, I mean, we've all had to do pivot, which I feel like is the, the word of 2020 pivot um, is, you know, they've had to pivot and just say like, okay, well, wait, we hang on. Can I interject here? What is pivot? I've never heard of this. <gasps> what? Okay. So I feel like that, <laughs> that's all the word that anybody uses here when they talk about, okay. So like, as an example, in my job, um, you know, working in marketing, <laughs> I've never heard this. Everything that I, I did before, right. Yeah. Planning, um, events and, you know, speaking engagements and conferences and all that. Everything was in person. Yeah. Every single thing was in person. Not one thing was ever virtual. So all of a sudden when everybody had to stay home, it was like, Oh, 
well, what do we do? Well, I guess I got to pivot to virtual. So then that just became the word. So like every, I'm not kidding you, Erin, like on, I would say, I I at least hear that word once a week, if not more on like work calls where it's like, well, yep, since we've had to pivot and, you know, and then, then we've had to pivot and then we've had to pivot, like, that is the like that is so funny. I obviously I know what the word means, but like I yeah. didn't know that that was like a thing. Oh, it's so yeah. funny. Oh well. Yeah. There yeah. we go. <laughs> so a little bit, you know, you learn. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, so yeah, just that again, they've had to pivot. Mm-hmm. And 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 for depending on that restaurant, it could be, you know, let's just say as an example, if it was a small restaurant or a small cafe, maybe they didn't have like an e-commerce site before. Maybe it was just like a landing page of just yeah. like, hey, here's our info. But then they realized the demand is high, right? Like people do want to still get food from us, but we we need a way to be able to, you know, capture some of that business if they're not going to physically come here. So then whether they're, you know, partnering with the delivery platform or service, or they, you know, want to have like a um, takeaway option on their website where you go and pay online, pick out what you want. And all you have to do is go pick it up in the store, you know, whatever those things might be that they just had to kind of re-envision like, okay, we think we can do this, but we have to entirely change pivot what (laughs) our plan was so that um they can stay successful and stay and stay open yeah I think I think it is again it's like just being creative and just thinking outside the box again I kind of hate that phrase especially as I I work as a copywriter so that's kind of yeah annoying sometimes (laughs) when I hear that but in this in this particular situation I I really think you do you have to be agile and you have to be able to um yeah figure out solutions to, to problems that, yeah, <laughs> that I you're agree. facing. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. Nope. Totally agree. Um, so I know you had, um, a little, uh, television program. Oh, yes. to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. Well, anyone who knows me and who knows us, we are weirdly fascinated and have been fascinated for years by serial killers. I, 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 I don't think we're alone in this. I would say majority of people that I talk to about this topic, it's like they perk up. It's like they get excited. I have a few friends that are like, oh my God, no, I don't want to hear anything about that. But I would say majority of the people that I talk to, friends or otherwise, everybody's always like, oh my God, yeah, that's so that's so crazy. Like a Ted Bundy guy or Jeffrey Dahmer, whatever it is. Yep, so, yep. Um, so yeah, so there's a, a new series. Well, now it's not so new. It's like two weeks old. But um on Netflix. And again, I'm always amazed at how much new content they have coming out. Like, I just, I don't know if that like fascinates you, but yeah, yeah. Netflix is just like a, yeah, it's booming a machine. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, they, uh, had, I think it was on January 13th, um, a new series about the night stalker. Um, the story of Richard Ramirez who, um, basically terrorized and killed, I believe it was 13 or 14 people. Um, yep. Uh, between 1984 and 1985 in LA um, and San Francisco as well. And I mean, I just absolutely watched all four episodes. Like, I think I watched three in one evening. I like stayed up super late to watch. (laughs) And then I watched the next one the next day. And and again, my husband is a police officer. So I felt fine watching it at night. Didn't scare me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, maybe don't watch alone if you live alone or don't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um I, I mean, for me, it was just, I thought it was really well done, first of all. Like, I just like the way yeah. that they, um, it, it almost felt kind of like like a, a movie. Like, it was, I know it was like a documentary, but the way that they just shot it and the way that they interviewed, um, you know, the, the original police officers who were on the case, which I thought was so cool to, like, have that, you know, backstory. And I had obviously heard about Richard Ramirez, but I didn't know a lot about what exactly he, he did. And... I think he was, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was the first, I believe, serial killer that didn't have like um, a modus operandi. Do you know what I mean? Like he, correct. he basically, yeah. he was, he didn't care who he killed. It was like, yep. he would, man, woman, child, it, yeah. it didn't matter. And, um, and so I think that that's why it was so hard to initially figure out that he was um, one person because there were all these like horrific murders that were taking place in, in, in a very short amount of time. And I think it wasn't until the, the younger cop, the, um, I forget his name now, but he's super cool. And Bill, I think. 
Right? Yeah, I think so. Yes, exactly. Um, and he basically put two and two together and was like, I think we've got one guy on our hands. And so, yeah, it was um, fascinating to watch. Obviously, so heartbreaking to, you know, listen to the victims' families and, you know, how much this still affects them 35 years later. Um, but yeah, it w- I thought it was really well done. And obviously, can't even imagine what that would have been like coming face to face with that guy. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. uh, Horrifying beyond. And, you know, because you and I are both true crime fans, um, which I know is a strange thing to say, like you said, but it is what it is. Um, And we are. Um, It's he is just somebody that is he, he truly is so evil that it's it's hard to imagine him like being a human being. Yeah. Um, Are they coming to get you? Uh, yes, actually, I should say you might hear occasionally um, a siren in the background. It's because we live very close to the hospital here. So that's an ambulance. That's the sound yeah. of a German ambulance. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, no, that he, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to compare because you can't entirely compare to other serial killers. But let's just say even somebody like, um, you know, uh, let's say like BTK. Yeah. Okay? Um, Bind, which- torture, kill. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Um, For those not in the know Um, in in Wichita. And he had a family. He had a wife and kids. And, you know, other, I think his daughter wrote a book. I actually would like to read that book. But like, she was like, he was just the most kind, loving, wonderful, you know, non-assuming, unassuming, you know, person i mean it's like it was so not only was it just shocking that it was her own dad it was like this person this man it made no sense right but for richard it was like he didn't have any of those like empathetic sides so it's almost even more scary because i mean i guess almost you could argue it either way right if you have the empathy it's almost scarier like anyone could be a serial killer right Yeah. yeah but then the other side is like pure evil where you just cannot like there, there was no, um, attempt at mercy. There was no, like he would hunt people the way a hunter, like a, yeah. a human hunter would go and shoot like a deer. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. The, like that kind of like the one where, um, in the kitchen, do you remember oh, that one I where know, like she like crept up cause like, and then he knew that she would and then shot her in the head. Like I, I, oh my gosh. It's I mean, horrible. Yeah, you can't even wrap your head around it. I think no, I think that's what's the most fascinating thing. And like you said, the word evil. And I think, again, I I feel like there's so many other (laughs) topics that we can talk about separately. But I feel like that's really, again, evil acts for sure. But I also feel like that goes back to the question, like, is it nature versus nurture, right? Like, what led him because then you end up reading. And that's what I find so fascinating is reading about these serial killers or, you know, people who do horrific things and learning about what happened to them when they were children. And, and I feel like almost every single, you know, situation like that, there is some sort of like severe mental, uh, physical, yeah, abuse or trauma that has happened to them when they were in these, you know, yeah, early years. And, and that was apparently the case too with Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, is that he, um, I think his uncle was in Vietnam, I believe, and yep. would tell him like horrible war stories about uh, just terrible things and show him, I think he had like pictures as well of like uh, people that he had killed. And and so, I mean, this is like, what, how old was he when his uncle was doing this? Like seven or something? And yeah, young. you know, it's like the brain hasn't even fully like, you know, uh, formed at that point. So it's like, you just get these impressionable children and these horrible things happen to them. It's, I'm not saying that like people who are abused as a child go on to be serial killers. I'm not saying that, but I do find it really interesting, this whole topic of like evil and what that actually means. And, and I, I don't know, I feel like people can commit evil acts, um, based on things that had happened to them in the past. Yep. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I personally, for me, my interest in true crime is the psychological part of it. For sure. Yeah. Understand 
how did this happen? So like, you know, I know like there are lots of people that like, they're more interested in the, um, like what they did. Right. And, and it's not like, it's not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, everybody has like, you know, something that really intrigues them for whatever reason. Yeah. And for me, it's always trying to think of them as a person and going, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And I, I think that's part of why I liked Mindhunter so much on um, oh, Netflix because, yeah. oh my gosh, beyond. Um, we could go on a whole thing about uh, Mindhunter as well. Yeah, but I feel like we should that, have a whole separate episode about <laughs> talking about this. Totally, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, but that, th- th- you know, that was the whole point, right? Of like trying to, it's not just that they, they, um, they want to talk to people that did these crimes. They want to talk to them to understand why they did these crimes. How did they get to the point that killing someone and not just once, but multiple times yeah. over and over again was like an insatiable, like quench for them that they had to keep doing. Yeah. It. And yeah. so that's the part to me where like, I'm always like, okay, so what's their background? Like, and it's not, this isn't meant to make light of it, but it's like, okay, what kind of trauma did they experience? You know, were they sexually molested or abused? Did Absolutely. they have um, a, a male figure or a, a, you know, mother or father in their lives? Were they, were they raised, um, you know, with love around them, or were they not raised with love around, you know, all these things that so much affect the way that, uh, you know, person that nature versus nurture thing, right. Um, that I I think is just fascinating, but, but yeah, Night Stalker is definitely two thumbs up. It's hard to watch for a lot of it. Um, certainly. And if you're not familiar with who this guy was, um, it'll be, (laughs) Yeah, eye opening. Um, to sadly learn about how how long his um, how how long he was able to to get away with it, which doesn't seem like it was all that long. But I mean, just imagine like that kind of fear because, like you said, he didn't have an mo, so you couldn't say. And again, that doesn't make it any safer, right? Because if they said, "Oh, well, he loves blondes," well, you're blonde, so like exactly that would freak you out. But if they, they were like, "Oh, they love," you know, um brunettes and it's like oh my gosh that could be your best friend you know like there's it'll affect you in one way or another but it was truly just whoever was easiest it was just whoever he just kind of got into his you know kind of you know little target zone it was like okay well that's the one and and so it was so random it was so much scarier and random for people that lived there because you just did not know um where he was was gonna strike that yep Mm -hmm. yep Yep. Yeah. But two Perfect. thumbs up for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. case I, I didn't make that clear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then Sip, I think you had, oh, and I should clarify. If I call. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was like, people are going to be like, what? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll say this as a quick one and then um, we'll do your last story here. So um, this is a long kind of more drawn out story, but something that has persisted to this day. So we have nicknames for each other. So yeah. um, I call Aaron Sipsy or Sip, S-I-P-S-Y. Um, this came about um, a long time ago. Um, and it actually was from a character in Fried Green Tomatoes. Right. Um, fantastic movie. The character of Sipsy, which is Cicely Tyson. For those who have not seen the film, uh, sorry, but I'm going to spoil it for you because um, it's been out a long time. And so if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Um, she is the true heroine of the movie. She yeah. she really, truly is is the one who saves the day. And But yet at the same time, she's the complete opposite of Aaron in terms of just like looks. She was an older black woman. And so I thought it would be kind of funny. But at the same time, I was like, she's also like, truly the champion and the the hero of the entire story of fried green tomatoes. So it just stuck. I just yeah. started calling her that. And I think at first it bugged you, but then it kind yeah, of it just, did. All, right it, yeah, sure, sure it did. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of stuck. So, uh, I, I call you sip or sipsy. Um, I know usually dad doesn't call you that. Yeah. I think he, no, well, but sometimes he will, but he I calls think me junior. That's, that's yes. the same for me. Yeah. Right. I'm 36 years old and my dad still calls me junior. So yeah, that's. Which you're also a junior of nothing other than just being the baby. You're not an actual. I also kind of think that I think dad would have loved to have had a a son maybe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He just had so much estrogen around him when when we were all growing up that I think calling me junior was kind of like his way of potentially like, but I'm so far from 
like a son that like, yeah, that's what yeah. makes it comical. So yeah, lots of nicknames yep. in our family. Lots of them. We don't even call each other by our real names. Yep. And my name is mm. Wink. Um, W-I-N-K, but the full term is uh, Winklesfelder, which mm-hmm. I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know where that came from. It, it's actually very German. To, it is. Yeah. Which, Winklesfelder. Yeah. It, or even Dutch. It kind of has a, a mix of both. Mm, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think it came around the same time as Sipsy. I think that's, I think that's about of, right. Yeah, I think so. So, um, yeah, we've just been calling each other that. But Wink, Wink and Sip. Th- those are our names. So yeah, it, it's so it's a slip of the tongue that you just yeah. called me sip because that's, yes. that's my name. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you have some fun German words that yes. are used in like the English language. Yes. So um, I subscribe to and this is I mean, for anybody that lives abroad and you know, English expat, whatever. Um, I, I highly recommend if they have it in your country. Um, I, I know they had it in Sweden when I lived there, but it's called the local. And it's basically like English news um, in the country that you're living in. So it's because um, it, obviously my German comprehension is is okay. I certainly can't speak it fluently by any means, but I can understand a lot. Um, but it's just so helpful to have a source where I can actually read what's going on in Germany in English and not be like, wait a minute, what is that word? What's this word? So, um, so I've subscribed to the local, uh, their newsletter in Germany, and they always have just like really funny, like little articles from time to time, just about like life in Germany and, and things like that. So there was a article that went out, um, called 10 English words you didn't know we pinched from German. So I'm just going to pick, I'm not going to say all of them, but um, a couple of them, which I think a lot of people wouldn't even know have German origins. But um, the first one is rucksack, which is a total Mm. normal thing that Americans say um, for backpack. Um, So rücken actually means back in German and sack means bag. So back bag. (laughs) Which, yeah, so rucksack is something that we definitely, yep. Um, the word, um, kitsch, that's something that oh, we, yeah, we say too, that also comes from German. Um, the noun meaning trash, which is really funny. Mm. <laughs> that, um, yeah, so when we look at something and we're like, oh, that's so kitschy, that's literally meaning like, oh, that's trash. trash, yeah. So I think that's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and let's see, what's another one? Um, Oh, let's see. Oh, like, well, masochism. Hmm, I didn't even realize oh. that, was, um, that was a German. Well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the word is masochismus in German. And it takes its name from an Austrian fiction author writing in German in the second half of the 1800s called Leopold von Sacher Mosser. Um, oh. Yeah, his stories often included sexual pleasure derived from pain. And the German term masochismus was created by psychiatrist Richard von Kraft Ebing in an 1886 book before first being translated into English as masochism in 1892. So interesting. I had no idea. So there you go. Yeah. You learn something new every day. I love it. Well, I know you'll have some good future ones. Um, oh, definitely. You'll, you'll, as you've been learning, because you've been taking um, German, you know, language lessons, but then also just living there, right? So like, yeah. you, and you obviously have a German husband, yeah. you you always have these fun little nuggets of like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, guess what the word is for XYZ. And it, it's hysterical. Because it is it's hysterical. so literal. It is that it makes perfect sense. But yeah. you would just never think to call it what they call it, if that makes sense. Yes. Like, okay, I'm just going to give one more example. And then I think yeah. we'll wrap it up because we've been, yeah, getting yep. for a long time now. But um, yeah, so there's actually, <laughs> there's actually a term in German for a man who pees sitting down on the toilet, yes. which is yes, a yeah. wonderful thing. Ladies, that's a <laughs> wonderful thing about being with a German man is that they pee sitting down on the toilet. Um it's just, it's incredible. You don't ever have to worry about like cleaning a toilet seat. Um, anyway, but there's a term for it in German called Zitzpinkler. I'm not kidding. It's actually a word. Um, Zitz means seat. And then Pinkler means like a peer, like a seat peer. Um, so yeah, that is, that's something that you probably didn't know in, uh, in German, but it, it is a real thing. So that, yeah, if only that could be just across the board, right? 
Well, it's with yeah. me. I, I asked my husband about that. He's like, well, it's just, it's, it's impolite and it's, it's dirty to, to do that. And I was like, well, yes, I fully agree with that, but it's just, he didn't even see what the big deal was. He was just like, well, no, you just don't do that. So yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, that was a fun chat today, my sister. It certainly was. Yes. And thank you, listener, for participating in our podcast today. We'd love to hear your feedback and thoughts on our podcast. Please like, subscribe, and download in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to us today. You can follow us on social for more information on our podcast. On Instagram, we're at Pod Across the Pond. And on Twitter, we're at Pod Across Pond, no the. And so until next time, Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you.